Good day, everyone, and welcome to episode two of our podcast on information security and security testing. Today, I'd like to take uh, us back to some security fundamentals. You know, I've been in this game for quite a while, and it's it's quite distressing still to see some of the some of the basics that aren't being done. Um, from an external penetration testing perspective, and and in fact, in a lot of our security testing. You know, one of the one of the common findings still is is weak passwords. Um, you know, it's quite distressing. You know, when you, when you're talking to clients about data loss prevention and AI and all that sort of stuff, and then and then someone's you know some users out there still entering password one as their as their password. Um, so you know that is something we include in in most of our testing. In fact, all of our testing, um, and unfortunately, still a common finding. So I'm just gonna. Ask Rob just to just to fill us in a little bit about um, you know weak passwords and and how we go about testing it from a from a, a Mobius perspective um, and and you know some of the vectors that that he employs in order to to uh, try see uh, to test these controls. Thanks, Rob. Pat. So thanks, Pat. So as a as part of an external penetration test, weak passwords will often be one of the first things we look at. Um, mainly because it's really that easy to test for them. And if you find one, it's a really great way to get into an organization or to get into areas of an organization where you can extract more information. So it's always a good place to start. And as you mentioned, it is a fundamental and it's fairly easy to test. And the best place to test a lot of these weak passwords is on a corporate email system. Um, everybody, pretty much everybody has email and everybody has a username and a password to log into that email. And more often than not, those email passwords are linked to your corporate login. So the first thing we want to do is find out as, as many people as we can who are employees of your organization. And by using various methodologies of open source intelligence gathering, we'll dig through various repositories and build a list of usernames or email addresses of your organization. And instead of trying 100 passwords per account, which will create a lot of noise and probably lock accounts out due to failed password attempts, we'll take one password at a time and try them across the range of accounts that we find. Uh, and this is a technique, a very common technique known as password spraying. So not only do you out. You don't cause as much noise on the end system, and you find these weak passwords by spraying across all the users. And we'll typically start with you know, the worst of all bad passwords, those with the word password in them. Um, so you know, password, password one, password with an at sign, password with a zero, combinations of both, of which there are quite a few. And from there, we'll move on a lot of other common and bad passwords that we that we see throughout the assessments, months of the year, seasons like winter, summer, the organization name itself. And by periodically spraying all the user accounts with these weak passwords, we get a sense of whether or not any of them are being used. Or if we get any hits, we know straight away that they are. And once you have that one single account, it's often a very slippery slope into total compromise from there. So, so weak passwords are dangerous. They, they're very prominent and they're pretty easy to test for, which, which all in all leads to quite a, quite a severe scenario. 
you know, it sounds like it's quite a, you know, it's, it's a fundamental control. But, you know, in today's today's age where, where all the systems are essentially, you know, internet facing in some way, uh, uh, it, it becomes so much easier to, to try find those, uh, you know, that one weak link. Um, Rob, maybe just talk us through, you know, a, a brute force attack versus a dictionary attack uh, to, to, to kind of arrive at some of those passwords. So a brute force attack, you know, if one would look at an enormous list of passwords and try them against a single account, which is far less likely to yield results and far more likely to lock that account out as opposed to a single password across all the accounts. So, and, and the dictionary, you you would have a you would have a list of passwords that that you would that you would attempt as opposed to kind of using, uh, you, you know, several servers to try to try essentially crack the password. So there's no huge uh, science to it uh, in in terms no, of in no. terms of the the dictionary side of things, uh, and that's actually the the, the simpler one. Yeah. It is, and there, uh, there are um, many available for download. Password dictionaries are, are fairly common on the internet. Um, they're not difficult to get hold of and they are plentiful so definitely not yeah. not a complex attack vector yeah and and i think you know that's one of the ironies when it comes to password is that you know when you're employing a dictionary attack you know p at sswrd is exactly the same as password uh you know in, in terms of uh length of time to 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 crack that that particular one so you know i think a lot of people are thinking okay i'm, I'm employing complex passwords um but if it's if, if it's something as simple as, as changing uh, letters to numbers um those are all in those dictionaries um and actually don't take any more time um to 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 crack from your perspective i would imagine yes absolutely not um and yeah. those will pass the complexity requirements because there is a special character and a number in them so they often will get through and be allowed, but from a password spray perspective, they're fairly easy to to guess and come across. Um, something interesting to to listen to you kind of intro that section, you know, as a as obviously as a non-penetration tester myself, uh, you know, when you talk about open source intelligence gathering around the employees of of the uh, of the organization, that sounds really sort of mystical and uh, and quite uh, you know scientific, but um, you know, something like LinkedIn kind of falls into that category, doesn't it? LinkedIn is a great place to to find people. Um, something we you know commonly use. So yeah, a absolute treasure chest of information in there about your employees, even the systems you use. Um, lots of juicy information. So it's it, it's a constant battle. Weak passwords. Um, one can get uh, you know technologies which which helps uh, blacklist. Certain weak passwords. Uh, you know, I'd urge people, organisations, to start employing those if they if they're not already. Uh, relatively simple to 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 plug in, uh, and then uh, user awareness is 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 critical. Um, you know, just so people are are following. You know, the NIST guidelines are, are rather to have longer passphrases, um, which are far more difficult to to crack and don't typically don't appear in any dictionary. Um, so employ a passphrase and then and then have uh, you know less have uh, longer periods between between changes. You know the, the the old school sort of eight characters complex and change it every 30 days. Um, we've kind of moved on a little bit from that, but it's a constant battle against against weak passwords. So yeah, thanks Rob. Thanks for giving some insights as to you know how the you know the threat actors might might uh, kind of 
breach some of our clients' um, um, systems. Thank you for that. No problem. Um, in keeping with our sort of back to basics theme today, um, you know, one of the things that that we try to as as Mobius is is whenever we do, we have a technical finding, is to try and take that back to to what well, what we call the root causes. Um, in my mind, you know, whatever we find from a penetration perspective is essentially a symptom of something that broke down within the within the um, the development or QA or the system or, or implementation of a network. Um, and and so what we try to do is to try correlate those those back to the you know the governance and processes that should have been in place to pick this up in the first place, um, but you know typically wasn't and and obviously wasn't if we if we've got a vulnerability that we've identified. Um, I'm going to ask Ray just to talk us through you know some of the, some of those root causes that that we um, that we often see um, and just to tie those back to back to sort of you know. The, some of the findings that that we might see and and how that typically points to something that that didn't happen further up the up the chain. Yeah, Pat, I think it's um, <clears throat> you know as you as you said, we we're not uh, you know we're not looking at uh, best practices and 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 guidance. So looking at at uh, organisations such as NIST who are who are telling us you know what we need to do and how we need to manage passwords. So you know uh, complexity is one thing, but length is more important. Um, and making sure that we configure our systems um, accordingly. So, you know, the systems these days aren't as limited as they used to be. Uh, so we can uh, use passphrases. Uh, we can make sure that we are configuring our systems to check against common dictionary passwords. Um, so I think that's the first thing is is, is security standards and best practices. Um, and then also to look at the systems we use and are we using the technologies effectively? So, you know, if we have systems out there that enable multi-factor authentication, uh, are those switched on? Um, are we using those? Um, you'll find so many organizations where the root cause, uh, you know, password length is not great and password security is not great. Um, but then they have systems that have MFA capability. They just haven't turned them on yet. So that's mm -hmm. so that's something to, to consider. I think a big part of it is the awareness part as well. Um, as you said, Pat, um, and just helping people uh, figure out how to create a password that they won't forget um, and that is long um, and that no one else can guess. And then the last thing I think from our side is I think the security practices have got into a bit of a rut with this, you know, eight character, uh, passwords of, you know, uh, length of eight must have capitals, must have numbers, must have, um, uh, you know, uh, characters in them. Um, and and though that's not no longer good enough. So we've sort of got into a habit of configuring systems according to to that way of securing passwords and that doesn't work anymore. What we really need is to look at passwords that are long, that don't change often, um, that we do use multi-factor authentication and you know start looking at the NIST guidelines and those are the um, things that we need to be doing on our modern computer systems to prevent against password hacking. So yeah, I think um, there is a lot we can do and, and a lot that we need to look at to prevent the abuse of passwords. Yeah, I think I think another you know another unfortunate uh, situation that we find ourselves in with 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 passwords is is 
you know, passwords still being hard coded into systems or, or legacy systems having, you know, passwords hard coded into them. And, you know, I think an extension of the uh, the user awareness to 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 the developers and, and secure development code, uh, you know, codes of practice um, and principles, um, those, those really need to be enforced by by organizations, because um, I think that's that's really one of the root causes that we see as well is, is, is poor development practices. Um, and then, Ray, just to final point from my side in terms of multi-factor authentication, you know, it's really, you know, as as organizations continue the adoption of, of cloud uh, offerings from an infrastructure or from an application perspective, the multi-factor authentication is, is commonplace in in most new technologies, uh, especially cloud technologies, and and it's typically just a flip of a switch um, that that it can be implemented. So you know it, it's not as difficult um, as it used to be necessarily to 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 roll out some of this multi-factor authentication uh, opportunities. So you know uh, there there might be organizations might be stuck a bit in the past that they're not really considering it because of how difficult it, it might have been but uh, you know as part of the cloud adoption really if if uh, if the, the 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 solution that you're looking to has multi-factor authentication built in typically at no extra cost th there's there's very little reason to not kind of flip that switch um, i don't know if you'd agree right yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, especially if you look at the major uh, service providers and cloud service providers, um, in many cases it is it is as easy as flipping a switch, Pat. Um, it's I suppose you know just uh, figuring out the the change management side of it. In in many cases, users are reluctant, and you know there's a ch element of human change management around using multi-factor authentication, um, and so that comes into play. And then, yeah, it is a case of saying, how are we using all of those cloud security products effectively? You know, we've got a, a whole array of security features that are on offer um, and, and just checking you know, if multi-factor is available, let's use it. If uh, data leakage prevention is available, let's use it. You know, are we using all of the features available to us as information security practitioners? Well, thanks, guys. Um, yeah, I think today was was actually a really interesting chat. I mean, it's probably a concept everyone is is aware of, and, and there's probably elements to it that that most people are aware of. But the fact of the matter is, you know, in our testing team, so Rob and Marco are from our testing team, we continuously find these. Well, they continuously find these sort of um, these sort of problems. So. You know, I think people are aware of it. Um, it, it comes down to, um, you know, how to solve it for your organization. I think that's where we as Mobius are, are quite fortunate to have, you know, the likes of Rob and Marco testing our clients' infrastructure and applications, and then the likes of Ray and his team on the consulting side to say, you know, how do we how do we fix this from an organizational process and governance perspective so that hopefully it doesn't happen again and doesn't manifest itself again. So. Guys, thanks very much for for that chat. I think you brought uh, kind of two very good angles from the both from a testing side of things as well as from a kind of a consulting and uh, reparation side of things. Um, so I think that was uh, that was a good chat. Any last points? Just from something that Rob was busy mentioning, Pat. Um, one of the things that we also do, and um, we have found some relatively good success with it, is not only do we look for 
um, users on LinkedIn or go through previous um, data breaches and dumps to look for sort of like usernames that could work within the organization. We also use statistically likely usernames. So for example, we would try and build a list of, for example, um, security vendor underscore alerts, um, because at some point someone in an organization might have created an email box that needs to send out um, emails from uh, alerting a certain team and it would be you know, security vendor underscore alerts or notifications or what have you. And oftentimes these things get set up, um, default passwords get used or really weak passwords get used and they never get changed. So we have found that using that spraying technique along with usernames uh, or um, sort of employee names and then these statistically likely um, service accounts has yielded some good results. Yeah, thanks, Marco. I mean, I think I think you know, yeah, it, it's it's everyone understands the principle, um, but it's kind of the devil's in the detail. You know, we've we've got a username and we've got a password, and hopefully some sort of two-factor authentication. And and you know, one needs to look at all of these uh, kind of layers of controls and and make sure that they they're as locked down. Often often you know, Marco, to your point. It's it's a vendor that's uh, you know got got their 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 system on the network or something like that, and and they deploying their own sort of usernames and and stuff like that in in <clears throat> on the network um, that sometimes the the client isn't even aware of. Um, so yeah, I mean if there are accounts that that aren't being used, um, often the generic accounts are overlooked when it comes to you know changing passwords and stuff like that. So. Um, those need to be scrutinized as well. Yeah, so thanks for raising that. All right, everyone, I think that, that kind of wraps up episode two. Uh, hope you got some uh, interesting insights out of that. Um, look forward to chatting next time. Thanks, guys.